Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Today's episode was brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 customer support. Try Squarespace at squarespace.com and enter offer code SMART at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Build it beautiful the podcast where we talk to smart people but not necessarily done by smart people that is an awesome question this one goes down probably on one of my top five hey i like nutrition i like to eat food this is the coolest thing ever we're gonna do this forever i wish i paid more attention in that class you know i'm gonna be honest i don't understand that as a man i just i don't get it welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com Welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Thanks for putting me in your ears today. This is Chris Stemp, your host and Sherpa through this journey. It's always fun when we get to bring you a new subject, one that we have never covered but is totally relevant today, and that is crowdfunding. Maybe you've heard of Kickstarter. Maybe you've heard of Indiegogo. Maybe you live somewhere else in the world, as does our guest this week, and you use other sites that I don't know about. The thing is, crowdfunding is bigger than ever, and it's only going to continue to grow. And many of us, myself included, only thought of crowdfunding as, you know, I'm going to buy this product before it comes out. And so I'm going to get a discount. But there are a number of different types of crowdfunding. For example, you can raise equity. You can do it if you're an organization or a nonprofit. All of these things can be relevant, and we should know about them, so we brought on an expert. Today, we are interviewing Chris Buckingham. Chris is a crowdfunding specialist and author of the new book, Crowdfunding Intelligence, the no-nonsense guide to raising investment funds on the internet. Chris founded a crowdfunding consulting firm called Minivation. So you can go to the website, it's minivation.co. It was eye-opening to connect with Chris and realize there are crowdfunding consultants in the world. It only makes sense. I just had never come across them and hadn't really thought about it because I myself am not a big user of the space. So as always, when I don't know about something, I want to bring them on and learn about it. Thank you to all of you for reaching out and telling us about how this show has impacted your life. You know we love it. Please feel free to share that online with the world on iTunes. Just leave a review and a rating, and then everybody can see it. We really appreciate it. I like keeping these things short and sweet. Remember, you can find us at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Make sure to go there, sign up for the newsletter. We've given away tons of free stuff. We send out our favorite quotes, sometimes articles, books, etc., 
at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Going to head on into our interview now. We are talking to Chris Buckingham about crowdfunding intelligence. Enjoy. Chris, thanks so much for being on the show. Really excited to cover a topic that it's always fun to cover topics we haven't even covered or heard of in terms of, as I was mentioning prior to us uh, recording, you know, oftentimes authors reach out um, and say, hey, you know, does your audience want to know about this? Are they interested? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. But this is crowdfunding and we haven't even been approached by this subject. So it, it made me think, why is there this almost lack of good resources when it comes to crowdfunding? Or am I just not up to speed on the, the latest data and research? Well, I think there's well, a couple of things to that, really. First off, it's an emerging sort of field. So it's, it's just coming out now. I mean, in the UK, we've got the earliest peer-to-peer uh, -peer crowdfunding platform, Zopper.com. They've only been going for 10 years. So if you look at it that way, sort of equity crowdfunding, um, debt raising crowdfunding, et cetera, or peer to business crowdfunding, it, it's, it's even more recent. So it is a very recent phenomena that's emerged. And from that, of course, we've got alternative finance um, here in the UK. I don't know if you're aware of this, but where you have a pension for your retirement, you can now dip into that pension and use some of that money you know, to help you start up a business or to start a project. So these areas are quite new. That's the thing with them. And I think in terms of um, the authorship and in terms of the books, there is a growing volume. If you look on Amazon, you know, month by month almost, you, you know, um, titles are being added self-published or, or through, you know, established publishing houses. You know, we're definitely going to be talking about your newest book, Crowdfunding Intelligence, The No-Nonsense Guide to Raising Investment Funds on the Internet. And that's definitely what I want to make the majority of this interview about and, and how people can utilize it. But I think you touched on something right there that many of us, including myself, aren't really caught up to speed on. I'm aware of it, but Crowdfunding is taking on a much greater it's it's filling a much greater gap or need in the economic environment than just Kickstarter or Indiegogo where you say, Hey, here's my product or service, give me money. There's things yes. there's there's other types. Can you explain kind of all the different verticals within crowdfunding? Sure. So if we use, I use the acronym DREAM, which is D-R-E for Echo, I for India, and then M, DREAM. And this really sums it up because you've got donation, reward, equity, interest, and then mix. So to run through those five, we've got two paths. You've got on one side, if you can sort of picture this in your mind, on one side, you've got peer-to-peer -peer consumer lending. And then on the other side, you've got what I term project finance. Now, I use the term project because it's not necessarily, you're not trying to build the next Skype or the next Google or the next uh, Microsoft. It may be that you've got a community project that you're trying to build or value that you're trying to add to your local community. So it's not a long-term sustainable sort of enterprise or traditional sort of enterprise form that you may be trying to crowdfund. And that's really where donation comes in because that's straightforward philanthropy. So we have donation is the first one, D. Reward, which are the Kickstarters, Indiegogos of the world. And I think by default, most people think of reward when they think of crowdfunding. Equity, straightforward shares. You're, you're selling shares within your, your startup organization. Or you may be going for growth and you're selling shares here. They could be preference shares. You know, you've got different classes of shares that you can offer. And you can offer incentives there. So you could offer, for example, if you're raising $50,000, the first $10,000 you could offer is A shares and then the rest have B shares. So there's different values to those shares that you're offering. Interest, what I call interest, is actually debt. So that's crowd um, lending. It, it's the crowd lending you money, you paying it back with a little bit of interest. And then finally, the M is the mix. So this tends to be reward with equity or reward with interest, the debt model. But to be honest, that's few and far between. We've only had here in the UK two campaigns that we've worked on that have used the mixed model. And this is where we've, in fact, one at the moment, we've got a cooperative that's looking to offer the reward model. So to gauge really what's going on with the market and if there's, if there's value for their proposition, once that offers, 
that, are, that, that succeeded, if, if indeed it does succeed, they can then move to equity. So here in the UK, I presume it's the same in, in uh, the US, where you have an, a cooperative, you can ring fence a certain amount of the, the profits and those can be given back to, to the shareholders. So of course that equity comes in. So that mixed model is quite interesting because that's a long-term sort of strategy that these um, people are looking at in terms of their crowdfunding. And it's also two campaigns that they're, they're going to be organizing and two campaigns that they're going to be creating, one for the, the reward and then one for the equity. The hope is that some of the people that have been with them at the reward stage will, of course, translate or move across to the equity stage. Right. So two things there, and I want to get into kind of each of these different parts of the, the DREAM acronym. But first, you mentioned you've seen only two people use this mixed model. And by that, you mean your company. And I'd like to learn a little bit about that because from what I know, you are you have a consulting company that that helps with crowdfunding. Again, another model business model that I've never thought of, but of course, makes a lot of sense. So tell us about that. Yeah, we are the best in the universe. I love it. Next question. Let's move on. Yeah, no, we've got there's several here in the UK, um, and I know of several in the uh, US as well. In fact, we've been—I can't remember the name of the company. Sorry, but we have been in touch with one where they were—they had a—they um, had a project, and they wanted to gauge whether or not it might be interesting to the European market. So, you know, showing us the video, walking us through the sort of presentation, the pitch that they've got. Is that of interest to, to Europe? And I, I think it might be, actually. It's not out yet, so I can't say too much on that one. Um, yeah, we do exist. There's several of us. There's the Crowd Center here in the UK. There's Juxtit, which are in the north of England, in Liverpool. Um, there's another individual called Anne, and I can't remember her surname. That's disgusting, isn't it? <laughs> As a competitor. But she's here in the UK. She deals mainly with social enterprises. Um, and then there's us, innovation, and our story really lies in our research we were doing with the University of Southampton, and we realised, with my own interest and with the research I was doing there, which was directly on crowdfunding, there's no, there was no independent voice that was, that existed within the the field to help entrepreneurs or to help project management and guide them and nudge them in the right direction to create their their campaign. And that's where we started. So we started, we call it Minnovation, and we started Minnovation to fulfill that need, really, or that, that desire for that independent voice. Where does the name Minnovation come from? Uh, it, it, do, you, do you know the, um, uh, the DJ, oh, I can't remember his name, Moby. Oh, so Moby, Moby yep. had, yeah. Moby had Little Idiot. And a few years ago, back in, I used to live in Portugal and then Spain, and we had, we started a project over there called Mini Idiom, where we were using SMS to help uh, reinforce grammar, grammar uh, lessons within their, their English lessons. And we called it Mini Idiom. But the mini name stuck. And different projects that we started in different uh, uh, bases, we always kept the mini uh, at the front of it. So Minnovation just seemed a logical extension of this as, as we came on to this crowdfunding. What, what is the, what is the vation though? Is that like vacation uh, or motivation or what is that? Innovation. Innovation. Okay. Little words with mini innovation. That was the the idea. I gotcha. I was wondering about that. Um, yeah. Well, great. So, uh, next question I had for you was going through. I can see where each of these parts of the DREAM acronym makes sense. For example, donation. I uh, helped found a nonprofit in in DC. And we're always trying to figure out new ways to raise funds. So let's talk about that one first, kind of on a selfish level, but I'm sure there are other people in similar situations trying to raise funds. It doesn't have to be for a nonprofit. It could be for a good cause, for a disease that's, you know, uh, afflicted them, something like that. What's the step there? Where should we look? Um, in terms of the platforms that exist to help you? Well, yes. And like, so in America, really, I'm only familiar with two and that's Kickstarter and Indiegogo. Can you do it on there? And do you know? You could. Okay. The, the simple answer to that. Um, if you just bear with me for a second, so I'm just opening up my own site where I've got a list. If you go onto the minnovation.co uh, website, it's okay. not .co, .uk, it's just .co. Okay. 
bottom right, you've got listed, and here we've got all the UK platforms okay. that are related to crowdfunding. Obviously, here in the UK, we're trying to support the UK ecosystem, sure. so I'm afraid they're all UK platforms. But I'm just looking at the donation philanthropy uh, list now, and there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven... 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 different platforms that you can choose from. Okay. And I, I actually, well, now that you mention it, you know, I, I've thought about that. I have to change my mindset because, again, I always go to Kickstarter and Indiegogo. But when we've tried to raise funds, we have looked at some other ones. I know there are a bunch. The issue is they're quite different. What makes up a good donation crowdfunding campaign? Okay. So the campaign itself, you need, there's two. It, with any crowdfunding activity, no matter where this is around the globe, as far as we can see, it's, it's a global phenomenon that it's always the same. In what you're doing with your crowdfunding activity is you're asking for permission from the crowd to create the vision you're trying to create. Mm. And in the book, I call this crowd consent. And that's basically what you're doing. So it's really there's, there's several factors that need to be um, aligned to enable you to succeed in your crowdfunding activity. And the most important of those really is trust or authenticity in you and the team behind this vision that you're trying to create. And the way you communicate that, well, there's several methods. I mean, it comes back really to traditional sort of forms of, of pitching anything. You know, it's getting that message across that you are the team. Now is the time to do this. But in terms of your um, philanthropy, in, in philanthropic uh, project, you know, it, it's the value that you're creating for that community or the value that you're, you're um, creating within that environment. That's really essential that you're, you're communicating and getting it across. And often it's the people, the very people that you're benefiting or the very people that, you know, you're affecting with this. Those are the people really you want to get the story from. So when you're, you're putting together the video or the pitch, bear those people in mind and try and get them engaged if you can. You know, try and get them in front of the camera or, or saying things to the crowd, explaining how it's helped them, explaining how, you know, it's, it's helped them sort of progress or the value that it's added for them. A couple of things there, and I realize it might be better if we just kind of talked about, and maybe it makes sense, but what makes a good crowdfunding campaign in general? Do they carry across all the verticals? As far as we can see, yes. And that boils back to the authenticity of okay. the team or the individuals that are there. If the crowd don't trust you, it doesn't matter what model you're using, you, you, you're not going to succeed. You know, there's no way. We'd, you know, personally, I'm not going to put money into a project that I think is rubbish or I don't think is going to be effective or is, is not going to be sustainable in the longer term. You know, whatever these factors are that, you know, I think is a criteria for success, you know, those have got to come across within the within the campaign. So it's really authenticity that you are the person to do this or you are the team to do this and also that you're communicating that well. Now, that brings us on to the update phase, because with either with any of the um, models, you need to update the crowd and you need to, to keep them informed of what's happening and what's going on. And one of the biggest secrets really in crowdfunding is that you can pre-write those updates. So to give you an example, if you've got a six-week campaign on one of the, um, let's just give you one of the UK, let's have a look at Just Giving here in the UK, which are charity events um, based in London. They're a donation model. So Just Giving, if I've got a six-week campaign going on to Just Giving, in those six weeks, I've got um, maybe three updates per week. So those are 18 updates in total that I'll be, I'll be sending out to the crowd. I can pre-write those 18 updates. Now, I may not use them, and I may organically update about what's going on, a milestone that's reached or a celebrity that's put some money into the project or whatever, but I've still got those backup. I've still got those 18 pre-written updates as a backup for, for my, my um, communication with the crowd, my updates, and those are essential. And there's some evidence from the US actually on Kickstarter uh, with Mitra and Gilbert. It was a paper that came out last year. And they found that certain phrases were particularly good at, at uh, nudging the crowd in, you know, into putting money into your, your project. And I'm pretty confident that we're going to find that. That's partly what my research now is with University of, Re of uh, Southampton. And I'm pretty confident we're going to find the same thing across all platforms, that actually that updating process and those phrases and those expressions that you're using are actually pretty common across the board. So the, the updating portion, is the benefit of that, it tells your existing 
donors what's going on or is it that it shows potential donors the progress you're making both both because you're you're keeping that engagement process going with existing donors you know you you you're deepening that engagement but you're also bringing in donors that may not be aware of you or you know finding you for the first time if you can think of it as a kind of quality signal, it's like a radio mask and you're sending out a quality signal to, to all the different funders that are out there. They've all got little pockets or little bits of information about you, your team, and some of it's wrong, some of it's correct. You know, it's stuff that they've determined subjectively by looking at your, your presence online, your pitch and your video, etc. And it's really by using these updates, you're connecting these people and giving them extra information you're leveling out that information you're, you're giving them equal information and of course they can build on that and come back to you and ask questions or make comments you know to those those updates that you're making hmm. which hopefully they will because that's another sign of um, you know another sign of deeper engagement with the crowd to give you an example of that actually we had a zoo that we uh, crowdfunded or helped to crowdfund very early on as a consultancy um, when the zoo went live, they were asking for 1.6 million pounds here in in the UK, and they had, I think I'm right in saying there were 312 uh, comments and questions that came to them, and they made six updates in total. Needless to say, they didn't get to the 1.6 million. But I do wonder, with hindsight now, if they had made more of that communication and responded more to the crowd, I wonder how much closer to that 1.6 million they would have they would have been. Hindsight's great. Huh? Mm, yes, it is. <laughs> Excuse me while I interrupt you for a message from our sponsor. The Smart People Podcast is supported by Wealthfront, the automated investment service that makes it easy to invest your money the right way. Wealthfront's software manages your money using investment strategies that were previously only available to the wealthiest investors for just one quarter of the cost of using a traditional advisor. Wealthfront monitors your account 24-7, automatically rebalancing your portfolio, reinvesting dividends, and working to maximize your after-tax returns. Wealthfront is also overseen by a team of investment experts, the same experts who launched the Index Fund Revolution and who've written some of the most important books in finance. In case you're still not convinced, you should know that Wealthfront manages over $2 billion, with a B, dollars in client assets and has saved millions of dollars on taxes for its clients. So with Wealthfront watching over your investments every day, what will you do with all your extra time? Visit wealthfront.com slash smart people to get your first $10,000 managed for free. Again, that's wealthfront.com slash smart people. Wealthfront Inc. is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are offered through Wealthfront Brokerage Corporation, member FINRA and SIPC. This is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities. Investing in securities involves risk, and there is the possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wealthfront.com to read their full disclosure. Now in normal speed, let's get back to the show. I can see how in the donation model, it's very much based around, and in all of them, authenticity, but in, in the donation model, it's... A little different because I feel like you have to tell your story in such a way that you pull on the emotional heartstrings and you show how you're bettering mankind, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. For the reward model, which is probably most relevant for anyone looking to start a business or has something going that they want to make larger or scale, mm -hmm. is it really all about the reward or what's the difference with that model? It is. It's shopping, in effect. Okay. It's e-tailing. You know, we've got, you go from, um, sorry, pre-tailing, e-tailing, and then to retail. And if you can visualize a pyramid at the top of the pyramid and divide the pyramid into three, at the top of the pyramid, you've got uh, pre-tailing, which is the, the um, Kickstarters, Indiegogos of this world. In the middle there, you've got e-tailing, where you're just selling online. And then finally, you've got retail at the bottom, which is the biggest section of the uh, pyramid. As you're coming down the pyramid, so it's you, your your customer base is growing, but of course then you're becoming more standardised as well. So with the pretail, you've still got the opportunity of customising this to the individual or, or to 
any input you may get in, through the update process with that crowd. So the value really there is that they're getting something back. It's shopping in effect. You know, they're getting a T-shirt. They're getting a product cheaper than it will be when it gets to retail or they're getting a customized something, whatever it, whatever it may be. Hmm. But also with that, I mean, as you're, you're moving down here, you, you, in fact, to give you an example, that's probably the best thing. We, we had a project a few years ago, which was an English, um, a British entrepreneur in London. She was developing um, a drinking flask made out of, um, I think it was titanium, actually. But it was one piece of titanium this thing was being molded from, and she was shipping it over to the U.S. and selling it in the U.S. She, her strategy was only to, to, to make this available through this Kickstarter campaign. The idea being that it was going to position her you know, in the minds of these individuals with her next series of products that she was bringing out that would go to retail. But she had neglected to put a tether onto the cap of this drinking vessel. <laughs> and we were, well, I mean, it was a brilliant design, brilliant design. Sure. But I'm sat here in the UK looking at the project. She sat there in London. We're watching this thing. It gets to $8,000 and it starts to peter out. And two people actually withdraw publicly, withdraw from the campaign. And they make comments because she wouldn't tell the crowd where this thing was being produced, which was China. Mm. And then it was being shipped over to the, to the US. Mm-hmm. So for whatever reason, she, she ne- neglected to say it or didn't want to say it or, or whatever. So one of the crowd then stepped forward and said, well, how about this design? And gave her the design for the tether for the cap. Wow. Now, as soon as she engaged with that you know, and, and took on board that, that input from the crowd, suddenly the, the thing starts to pick up again and she smashes the record. I mean, she comes in at, I think it was 12000 and something dollars that she finally got, which was you know, 2000 more than she was asking for. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm I'm debating whether okay, so let's just talk about the last one because it's a little more or the last three, but they're they're kind of similar. It's a little more financial. And I know when people hear equity, interest, this mix of reward and equity, that seems a little bit out of at least my and I have a financial background and whatnot, out of my <laughs> expertise, out of my pay grade. Is this something that A uh is reasonable to do for the average entrepreneur, solopreneur, etc. And B, is it accessible? Can we do it without legal fees and a whole team of people? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the ongoing question. Right. We got okay, so it, I can only give the UK example, but I'm presuming it's the same in the US with uh, the Jobs Act that's that's recently been introduced by Obama. I think um there is. So there are legal fees, of course, and legal structures that you have to follow. I mean, here we have the Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA, who, who are the governing body that oversees this side of things. And we have to align ourselves with the FCA regulation, of course. You know, that's, that's natural. We have to protect investors. We've got to protect you know, ourselves. It's, it's all sorts of the platform itself. So there, there is a legal fee. Now, that tends to be... Um, most of the well in fact all of the platforms here in the uk will offer that service they'll do the paperwork for you for a fee but of course that fee can be added on to the raise so if you're and the fee normally it's about two thousand pounds i think are the top ones so what's that in dollars about three three and a half thousand dollars around there so it's not it's not excessively huge amounts that they're asking for but it's still it's it's quite a significant you know, fee that you've got to pay. With the model, we've got this um, organization here with Jeff Lynn, who's an American who, who heads it. He's a CEO here in the UK of cedars.com. And with cedars, I know it's part of the deal where, you know, you can, you, you do this, it, the paperwork's included, but then of course you, you take that out of the fees that you've raised through, you know, their, their platform, which is a good way of doing it. I mean, it keeps the cost down, but cedars are interesting because they act as a nominee. So they hold the shares for um, the individuals in the crowd that make up the crowd. Mm. And then if later I want to sell the shares, Cedars will take a share off that sale. So not only are they charging the entrepreneur for coming onto their platform, but they're also, their business model is that they've got a little bit of a fee that will come in from these later sales, if indeed that that gets to that point. Mm. So So it's a a clever model. Well, I was going to say, so what is the benefit of, of doing this for a company as opposed to... I mean, my guess is if you're a smaller company trying to raise funds, obviously you can't do this. Well, maybe you can. I don't know. This big IPO or 
go the you know the super kind of uh, corporate route and and hire an investment firm and all that. Is it just that you can do it on a much smaller scale but achieve the results that you want? Yes, in effect, yes. And but more than that, you're you're being social. You're engaging with these groups. You know, to give you the example that we had of the drinking flask just now, I know that was the reward model. But that's a, a classic example of this engagement, this deeper engagement you're getting with your crowd and, and hopefully building you know, a little bit of a tribe around mm. what you're, you're doing and leveraging that possibly once you get to market, you've already got a little bit of an audience, a little bit of a, a, you know, a, a sort of um, early adopters that are there ready to, to take this forward or, or maybe enthuse others about the project or the, the product and bring them on board as well, hopefully. So there's much more. It's it's like an onion. You, you're peeling off the layers. So you've got this, you know, the 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 people are investing much more than just finance. Right. You know, much, much more. Okay. So that that that's makes really a lot good. of sense. Would this equity or interest or even mixed model, would that be more useful for, say, a service as opposed to a product? Because you the reward is obviously a lot more difficult to, to provide in that instance. Yes, it can be. I mean, we don't we we deal with both services and products here. In fact, we we just class them as products, really. But you're right. In in terms of the service, it can be quite difficult. I mean, it, or experience. That's another area where it gets a little bit tricky. But then you've got some really innovative stuff going on. I mean, we had a student. Our very our smallest campaign that we've helped on was for just three hundred pounds, and it was a student mm. who wanted a piece uh, to put on a piece of theatre, and. He was genius, actually, with the way he approached it, because the the part of the production had a projection of a film that was coming into the the, the actors on stage, and so he was able to film the audience or the the um, the people doing their speech before beforehand, and then project this into the the piece of theatre. So of course he could offer that as a reward. We'll give you the lines. You come on. You speak to the camera. You know, and we'll project you. So you're part of this thing this entity that we're we're creating mm, that is interesting so okay i know what's what's kind of burning in my mind and that's typically what's burning in the minds of listeners is i want to take the most general idea or general use of crowdfunding and walk through and and i'm honestly part of the reason i want to do this is because this happens to me quite often so i have an idea for a product right and I'm starting from Zippy, right? I have maybe a couple okay. couple grand maybe to invest on my own. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Let's, uh, you know, <laughs> let's let's turn this thing into a million dollar seller. Right. So first off, it's the model. What are we looking at? Are we looking at donation, reward, equity, interest? Um, or are you looking at a mix where you're, you're going to come back again to the crowd? Let's presume. Reward. For instance, Okay, let's go yeah. with reward. So reward. So there's five stages we'd need to think about in terms of the strategy before you even get close to crowdfunding. Now, we, we recommend six weeks of planning, at least six weeks of planning before you go live. And the biggest mistake that we see being made both in the US and here in the UK is that people rush to get up. They rush to get their campaign out mm. there thinking that the, the crowd will just come to them. It doesn't work that way. You've really got to do the planning and the homework before you go before you go live. And we've got this template we use called the crowdfunding planning page. And this is available on the minnovation.co uh, website. Free to download. Um, there is a little video there as well that will walk you through these, these different stages. Um, and the five stages, if you can sort of picture in your mind, there's two boxes on the top, one at the top left and one in the center. The first top left is pre-campaign. Then in the center, we've got live. And underneath this is another box that connects both of them, which is the pitch. Now, if we start with the pre-campaign, this is the first stage. Really, what we're looking for are surveying the platforms and other campaigns that are out there. So doing an audit, really. What platforms exist? What's best aligned with us? And then serving campaigns that are on those platforms. So have they succeeded? Have they not succeeded? What, how much were they asking for? Who was the team behind them? How many updates were they making? What kind of questions and comments were being made to them? And also seasonality. So was there a particular time during the year that they started campaigning? Because that could be quite important. Um, what are the risks for your campaign? And by that, we're looking really for you, social risks as well as financial risks. So you're out there in front of the crowd. Now, if you fail, you know, this is a very public sort of failure. So how are you going to handle that? 
Are there any legal aspects that you need to consider? By that, we mean uh, intellectual property, etc. And what are you going to talk about? So in the pre-stage, we need to update, get these updates written and think about the topics and the areas that we're going to be talking about during the live stages of the campaign. Mm. When and where will you say it? So thinking about the channels that you're going to communicate with your crowd. Each of the platform allows you to update through the platform. That's great. But is there also Twitter or Facebook or Tumblr or whatever you're going to use to, to use to update the, the, the crowd? And who are you saying it to? So have you worked out who the demographics are of those that are most likely to input on the, crowd, on the uh, campaign? And you can find that out by looking at these other um, campaigns that are out there and making a judgment call on it. A lot of it's guesswork, but it's based on stuff that you're looking at. You know, you're not just plucking figures out of the air. You really are doing the background sort of research on this. Do you know the costs? So what are the costs of what I call the promises, i.e. the t-shirts, etc. you're offering? You know, what are the costs of that and delivering that as well? Because you're going to have to get it to the people. Have you completed, you know, the, 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 the homework, really, the research? And have you identified tribes? Now, that's an interesting one. We often try to identify tribes that we can support. And this comes back to tribal consumerism, where with tribes, you're not really selling directly to them, but what you are doing is supporting them in some form, and then hopefully finding a way of, of gaining a revenue stream from that. So selling to them in the longer term, but not directly. You know, they can be important. So especially if you're looking at the donation model, you know, other tribes, are, there's an obvious tribe that you're supporting and that you're creating value for this local community, but other tribes outside of that that you can also support along the way. And finally, in this section, who takes charge? So who's going to be responsible for the updating? Who's going to be responsible for writing the updates? Who's going to be responsible for I don't know, the images that you're putting out, um, dealing with the, the, the factory in China or whatever it may be that you're, you're having to think through? So that's all but in the planning stage. That's the first part of the planning stage. Okay. Then, if you're okay with this, I'll walk you through the next one. <laughs> oh, so yeah, no, go, this is great. Then we go live, Chris. And here we're thinking about really when are you going to send out these updates? And again, we're thinking about the channel, but again, are the channels correct? Have we got permission by permission? We're, we're, what we mean by permission is other people there. So if folks are on Twitter, are they okay with us updating through Twitter? If they're on um, Facebook, are they okay with us updating through Facebook? It's really gauging where they want us to, to sort of communicate with them. And you can find a lot of that stuff out through, you know, your, your audit you're doing of other campaigns and other platforms. Again, who's responsible? So who will write the updates? How will you maintain momentum? So thinking about the momentum, most most campaigns will start off quite, um, there'll be a rapid sort of increase, there'll be a little bit of a plateau, and then often they, they start to drop away in terms of the funds that are coming in. So how are you going to maintain that, that activity? And also, how are you going to measure success? You know, is it going to be in terms of media exposure, retweets you're getting, conversations are generated through your likes on Facebook, or just simply the funds that are coming into the campaign? And it could be a mix of these things. But by knowing this in advance, you know, you're not going to panic when the plateau is reached and it, it may start to decline slightly. Then we move down to the pitch. Here, really, we're talking about the story. What story will you tell to the, to the, the crowd? And have the scripts been written? Now, here, we're thinking about three types of scripts. There's the main text that will be on the, the campaign page itself, the video scripts that you're going to be writing, and we also include scripts in the updates. So is there an extended sort of update that you might be able to do on video, et cetera, that you could, you could post? All this helps with engagement. That's the reason we do this. Who will produce the videos? So trying to identify who it is you're going to use. Could it be a student cohort you've got in a local university or something that you can you know, use, which could be relatively cheap? They need you know, real, work, real life projects to work on. You need a cheap video that's, that's quite well polished or quite well produced. And hey, presto, you might have got it in that route. And what if you overfund? So thinking about stretch goals and the reward model. And what's in it for them? So really addressing what the motivation is for the crowd. Why are they going to input at this time into your campaign? What is it about you that, that's so special and, and you know, they, they're going to attract them in the first place? We'll be right back to this interview after a quick word from our sponsors. Building a website can be tough. And even if you do know your way around coding, creating something that looks good and works well is a time-consuming affair. Whether it's for a business site, a portfolio, a restaurant, or whatever else, in this day and age, you probably need one anyway. Well, lucky for us, 
Squarespace makes it easy to build beautiful websites without breaking a sweat. Squarespace provides simple, powerful, and beautiful websites that look professionally designed regardless of skill level, no coding required. Not only does Squarespace provide you with intuitive and easy-to-use tools to create your website with, Squarespace also has state-of-the-art technology powering your site to ensure security and stability. And you know you can trust in Squarespace for your website's needs when millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world trust in them too. Listen, not everybody has time to learn HTML, CSS, JavaScript, all that stuff. Seriously, you can't beat the ease and simplicity of Squarespace. Squarespace gives you 24-7 online support and a beautiful website for only $8 a month. You can even get a free domain if you buy Squarespace for the year. So what are you waiting for? Start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code SMART to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for Smart People Podcast. We thank Squarespace for their support of Smart People Podcast. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Two things there that I want to really kind of drill down on a little. The first is in this pitch stage, as you mentioned, the copy and the video is Mm. extremely important. Yes. Yes. Um, The two things I instantly think of are for a lot of entrepreneurs or lean companies, funds are tight. And we think, oh, we have to get this video made. For example, uh, on the podcast, John and I wanted to get a trailer video made for a couple of reasons. We talked to one company real quickly, $9,000, two minutes of video. Now, I laughed at the guy, but the point is, obviously, he does charge that and has a business. I know that's not the kind of the standard we'd be looking at in terms of price, but how much do we need to put into it and what what really matters? Is it the quality, the story, the audio? You know, what is it? That, well, that's a very good point, Chris, because it's not always a polished video that you need. I'll give you a classic example here, and it's one of the very early campaigns that I witnessed here in the UK that got me really interested in in um, the language that's used and, and this update process. And it was a very, very early uh, video where the guy, he was an English guy in the north of England. He'd studied in, in Texas, and he was a, a blacksmith. He could make things out of metal, you know, in traditional sort of furnace, and he heated up the metal and they made objects. His wife was American, and they decided to crowdfund to build a furnace in their back garden, which is a brilliant idea. But the video was rubbish. It was mm-hmm. him stood in front of the camera. You could hear the wind whistling through the, the microphone and the distance between him and the – it was a little bit blurry at times – But I have to say there was something about him that was really engaging. And because of the cheapness and the shoddiness, if you like, of the video, it kind of helped. It really kind of helped ground this concept of him trying to make it in this big, bad world of ours, you know, and it it really did kind of help. So spending that kind of money, fine, you can, of course you can. You know, there's video productions out there at all levels here in the UK and in the US, but it's not always the case and it's not always necessary. I think that's the thing to remember. And so what is the thing that is most important that they get out of the video? It's engagement, really. It's engaging with you, with the product, and and just seeing who you are as as an entrepreneur Mm. and the team that's behind it. So it's a kind of... It gets back to this different pockets of information that all the crowd have got. And subjectively, we'll watch the video. You know, we all like and dislike different personalities. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get that personality out of that video. And that's really what our, our takeaway is for that video. See, I, I love that because I think so many people go into this questioning, well, wait, who do I need to be or what do I need to say in order to be appealing? But in reality, one of the things I've learned over a long time, especially podcasting, is you can try to be someone else, and then Mm. there's going to be people that wish you were yourself. Or you can be yourself, and there's going to be people that wish you were different. So might as well be the best you you can. You, you, Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. (laughs) You know? I agree. So talking about the copy now, or the message you're trying to get across... Because again, I'm thinking of it from a product perspective, and mm-hmm. as you mentioned, it's the the shopping almost. Yes. Are people, and and here's why I think about this. We've interviewed a lot of psychologists and whatnot. Are people really buying the product? Are they buying the feeling? Are they buying your personality? 
What what is it that you find is most appealing in this type of reward driven model? Often we find it's actually the kudos, the social capital of, of having this product or being involved in this product or being able to be the first to bring mm-hmm. this product to your network. So let's take the Pebble Watch um, in the US. You know, that's brilliant campaign still being you know the updates are still coming out the newsletters etc even i think today i got one or yesterday from pebble brilliant absolutely brilliant but it's the kudos really being the first to have that watch to bring it over to the uk or to you know within my network of, of friends who some of them particularly geeky hmm. you know it's great to be you know look what i've got on my wrist you know and you have it so it's that kind of kudos really we find often is, is the main sort of pull for people coming into it which is where different platforms often succeed you know and have different audiences on there for instance kickstarter is very much about you know the new gadgets and the new sort of cool things that are coming out devices or whatever um if we look at um but indiegogo is quite close behind that i mean indiegogo used to be quite significant for the arts or arts based kind of creative projects but that's shifted now and we find now that there's almost an equality between the two you know platforms here in the uk i'm speaking not necessarily there in the u.s Yeah, it's interesting. That is an interesting one. Well, what about, you know, so I think I always think about it from my perspective. And and if John were on, it'd be hilarious because he's completely different. But I've never bought something from a crowdfunding platform, despite going on there probably once a week, bookmarking five different projects. And it always comes down to two things. One is the weight, right? I hate waiting for stuff. I absolutely hate it. I'd rather wait for it to come out and pay a premium. The second is... The, the, the possibility of something going wrong, of it not yeah. being great because you're a first mover, uh, you mm-hmm. know, so many different things. Yeah. I don't even know what my question is here, but if I throw that out uh, there, you know, yeah, what do two, you see? Yeah. Okay. So there's two issues here, really. You're talking about quality and time. And those are the biggest issues that we've got, you know, within the reward, especially within the reward uh, model of crowdfunding. So time to get the product to you. There may be delays. There could be, um, you know, the project may not go ahead. Something may happen. Suddenly you realize that it can't be done. The factory in China burns down and suddenly you've got to retool another factory. There could be any number of problems that happen in terms of the time. And that is an issue. That is a serious issue. But the other one is quality. People receiving products or, or services that actually don't meet the quality expectation that they have, you know, from the campaign. And those are problems. They they are serious problems. I think in terms of the product quality that's becoming less of a problem i think it's really fraudulent use of crowdfunding that you know if you go there's a spectrum here of those that have just messed up and and you know the factory in china's burnt down you know there's the circumstances are out of your control but you're still going to get there you know you're going ahead you've got a serious product you're not trying to defraud anybody right the other end of this spectrum you have got the out and out fraud fraudsters that are there and and if we go back to kickstarter we've got the um is it two-headed productions the the game of mythic the oh, god, game sure. of god and men a few years ago there was a classic i mean there's still a debate about whether or not it was a hoax whether or not it was actually a game that they were trying to develop but either way they had stolen ip you know intellectual property from different games and, mm-hmm. and put it together but it's a it is an ongoing issue and i mean the other issue the major issue we've got in reward is the intellectual property how do you protect your ip mm-hmm. while still telling the crowd you know hey guys look what i've got here you know come and fund me that's an issue and we've had that just recently actually with an italian designer that we were working with she's a a, a jeweler she makes very large pieces in milan for merchandising houses and she came, she's got an English boyfriend. She was over in London. She went back to Milan and discovered, lo and behold, one of the fashion houses in Milan had copied her design. Mm. She took them to court. It was costing a lot of money. It wasn't really getting anywhere in terms of the court case. So she kind of gave up. If, if I'm honest, I think she lost a little bit of motivation with it as well. Mm-hmm. So she came back to England, decided to crowdfund. She wants to bring out a series of smaller set of um, pieces that she's designed earrings and necklaces etc but how does she tell the crowd you know this story so what we did there was take a crew into a film crew into her um 
uh, studio, film her actually making the pieces, but not the end product. And that gave her a chance to tell the crowd her human story. You know, this this tragedy of her being ripped off by this big Yes, bully, that's what I was going to say. Tell them that story, and I think yes. you got a slam yeah. dunk. Yeah, well, we'll see. That campaign hasn't gone live yet, so we'll see. I think it's it's early 2016 that should be out. But it's... Um, yeah, it is an issue. The IP is an issue. The time thing is an issue, and so is the quality expectations of the crowd. Although, as I say, that is definitely becoming less of an issue. But yeah. it's still there. It's still yeah, there. I mean, you know, when I think quality, it, it isn't even always the quality. For example, I think about this. So I recently bought a house, and there was this one on Kickstarter or something, and it was um, an alarm system. And it was right. it was cheap. It was cool. It was like smart home, all that. Chris, I, Chris, I thought you were going to say there was a house on Kickstarter. <laughs> no. That would have been awesome. <laughs> I would have bought that. No. Um, oh, you Americans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that. But so, you know, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to buy this. And then I realized I wouldn't get it for five months or something. And in my head, I thought, well, five months from now, maybe there's something better. Maybe there's something yes. cheaper. Maybe I can get it just down the street for the same price. And I wasn't motivated because I didn't. I don't know. I didn't know what that product was going to be when I could probably buy one that already exists that's similar. No, I get it. Yeah. 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 And that is, yeah. I mean, how do you get over that? You've, you know, it's, it's the sense of urgency. I mean, any campaigning in terms of, you know, um, the voluntary sector through to, you know, charities or cooperatives or whatever it may be that, and it's the same with campaigning in, in the crowdfunding sphere, that sense of urgency is really what you want to get across to the crowd because that instills a sense of, Oh, now, you know, I've got right. to give my dollars now, otherwise I'm going to miss the opportunity to buy this product or, or get this thing in, you know, in my home or on my wrist or whatever it may be. Yeah. And like I said, I know I'm not the, I don't speak for everyone. I know John's bought in tons of these things. He loves them. And he's he's a big, you know, proponent of crowdfunding. Oh, yeah. um, the last thing on this kind of model after we pitch it that I, I really want to touch on is how do we get support? How do we get buyers? You know, I mean, uh, if if you don't have an existing crowd, which you probably don't, if you're a small business, you have, for example, you're selling a flask like you mentioned or something of that nature you don't have a thousand people that are willing to, to shell out some money. How do you yeah. turn it into that really successful campaign? That's okay. So this comes down to your auditing and your, your surveying you're doing of the platforms that are out there and the products that have been before on those, those platforms. And really what you're doing with that is gauging exactly that you're looking for the success stories and the kind of audience they've got already on there. If you can think, if you think of Kickstarter, for example, or Indiegogo, it's a massive warehouse, and you're just one tiny little product down in the corner of that massive you know, warehouse. So how do you rise above all the other products that are in that warehouse and get your voice heard above them? Now, there can be stunts that you pull off. I mean, we worked with a documentary there in the U.S. a few years ago on Indiegogo where the guy was driving coast to coast across the U.S. and was doing publicity stunts as he was going, you know, and trying to wear, raise awareness for for the uh, campaign here in the UK. We've, we've been working with an author recently actually for children's books and he's going into libraries and doing readings for children and then distributing cards afterwards to try and get people, uh, sorry, the parents engaged with the book because of course those are the ones with the money. These kind of tricks work. Now they're not mass scale. You know, you're only looking at a couple of hundred people maybe that this will, will um, connect with, right. but they may have another network beyond them that they can connect with. So it's this kind of word of mouth buzz marketing almost that you're, you're trying to engage with. And that's really, really essential. But the platforms themselves will have a ready-made audience, especially the bigger ones, Kickstarter, Indiegogo. This is why people go to them. You know, they've got an audience there already that are into these particular types of products or services that are being offered. So they're there. You know, you've just got to engage with them and, and get them on board, really. And how would you engage with them? Is there a way, other than putting it on Kickstarter and hoping that people find you, is there a way through those platforms that you can really reach out to your target audience? Again, this comes back to the updates and keeping that engagement and that conversation going with, with the audience. You know, okay. you've, you've got to keep it going. That's essential. You know, there's more and more evidence coming out in the academic um, sphere to suggest that that is essential. It is, you know, the in my view, it's the most important aspect is is keeping that conversation, that dialogue going with with the audience and with the crowd. Interesting. 
Well, and I know you you have some interesting research that you're working on right now that has to do with the gamification of this, which, man, I, I'm already trying to wrap my brain around crowdfunding. Now you're going to throw games at me. So what, what's going on there? Tell me about it. <laughs> okay, so we, we're looking at um, two particular fields, which are the equity and the interest, so the crowd lending and the crowd investing, so equity and the raising of debt through crowdfunding. What we've been looking at, and I've been studying this for a couple of years now, with the, the, response, the comments and the questions that are being asked from the crowd to the entrepreneur. Now, there's a lot of people looking at the updates that are coming out uh, from the entrepreneur to the crowd, but there's very little research on those comments and those questions that are coming in from the crowd. And we've just finished the second book, actually, which is on this. And what we've done is scraped these questions and these comments them together. We've put together a template where you can start to address it's practice, really. You can practice answering these types of questions or these types of comments that are coming in from the crowd because there may be issues of, we've already touched on intellectual property, there may be issues in terms of your business model or in terms of your intellectual property that you don't want to give away to the crowd. And yet you need to be pretty quick you know, with your responses in terms of your updates to them. And you've got to be seen to be transparent and authentic. So how do you do that? So we're hopeful that we're, we're building a game at the moment. We're just designing it now with University of uh, Southampton where we can put together a game. The entrepreneur will step into the game, play the game, answering these questions or addressing these comments that are coming in. And some of them are quite critical, remember. They're not all nice uh, smiles. Some of them are quite heavier. Hmm. Um, by answering and by um, practicing and rehearsing this kind of comments and these kind of questions, you'll be in a better position when you do go live. You'll you'll be better equipped, basically, to 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 um, succeed in your crowdfunding oh. activity. Well, it makes sense to me. So when do we That's, when do we no, get the uh, when do we get the answer the the results on this? Uh, probably about eighteen months away, I would imagine. We're still, I mean, the scraping because the questions are coming in on a daily basis, you know. So we're scraping every day, and and the volume of questions is growing and growing and growing. So, although interestingly, they do fit within just four categories that we can identify so far, and that's really the project, the team, the finances, and what I term other. And the other generally tends to be comments about comments hmm. or comments about questions that others others have made. Hmm. All right. Well, I'll keep my eyes open for that because I know now I'm going to be thinking about products I want to create, how to crowdfund, and I'm going to use all this knowledge. I'm sure there's other people out there that will too. Well, I hope it adds some value for you. I really do. Oh, absolutely. Course, Go ahead. The books, the books out, I was going to say September the 8th, I believe the book is out in the US. So crowdfunding intelligence is there in, in the US. So that will help. I mean, that's a very practical hands-on sort of guide, step by step, just taking you through the process. Obviously, it has a UK focus because that's where I am and that's you know where we've seen it. But as I said, universal, crowdfunding is universal in what it's trying to achieve, which is this idea of crowd consent. You know, asking the crowd for permission to create the vision you're trying to create. Yeah, and like you mentioned, I mean, we touched on a lot, and and crowdfunding is definitely an in-depth topic. If you're planning this or thinking about it, it's going to be a big investment of time, a little bit of money, obviously your livelihood. You might as well spend a couple bucks to to get the manual. Um, and yes. that book is Crowdfunding Intelligence: The No Nonsense Guide to Raising Investment Funds on the Internet which will be coming out, as you mentioned, very soon, depending on when this episode airs, right around this time. Um, right. And we'll link to that on smartpeoplepodcast.com. Chris, again, thank you so much for being on the show. The book is Crowdfunding Intelligence. And could you give your organization or your business's website address again for people who want a little bit more information? Sure. This, uh, it's templates. So there's workbooks, worksheets, sorry, on the, um, just a series of worksheets that are on the site that you can use in conjunction with crowdfunding intelligence. And the site is www.minivation, which is um, M for mother, I for India, N for Nigel, I for India, V for Vanessa, A for Apple, T for Tony, I for India, O for Oscar, and N for November, minivation.co, C-O. I love it. All right. Well, Chris, thank you again so much for your time. Thanks for your thank flexibility. You. I really appreciate it. Brilliant, Chris. And uh, thank you very much. Uh, it's been wonderful to speak to you, I have to say. Absolutely. No, I had a blast. Thanks again. No worries, Chris. All right. Take care. Uh, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Chris Buckingham. Don't forget, you can find his book, Crowdfunding Intelligence, The No-Nonsense Guide to Raising Investment Funds on the Internet, 
on Amazon or at your local bookstore. And if you do purchase it through Amazon, don't forget to use the Amazon link located conveniently at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. Clicking the link is at no cost to you, but gives us a nice little kickback from Amazon and it helps support the show. So if you've been looking for an easy way to support the show, please consider that. Another easy way to support the show is by heading over to iTunes and Stitcher, leaving a rating, review, and comment over there. And if this is your first time listening to the podcast, please do not forget to hit that subscribe button, whether it's on iTunes or a podcatcher on Android. Subscribing to the show, make sure that you do not miss any episodes of Smart People Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to the show, you can send us an email at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. Or message us on Twitter at SmartPeoplePod. Stay tuned. We've got some good episodes coming up. And we will see you all next week. <laughs>